Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of the eighth and final episode of the third season of Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This one was called A Jewish Girl Walks Into the Apollo, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And burns it all down. This is Paul. (laughs) This is Caroline. So much happened in this finale. My stomach hurts, Paul. To be honest with you, my stomach hurts. It's hard to have tits up when your stomach hurts. This no, is a I think episode. I, wouldn't that open up your diaphragm and let things <laughs> flow better? If you... No, I'm kind of like all hunched over holding my belly. Mm. That doesn't allow tits up. See, in a lot of other vernacular, when you say something has gone tits up, it's it's not a preparation for something good to happen. It means that that thing has failed. True that, that it's dead. Right. It's like laying on its back. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, maybe tits up is the right <laughs> phrase for this one. It is an ominous way to end this season, especially considering now that we're looking back on it with a couple of years uh, in the rearview mirror, that it took so long to get to season four. Absolutely. I can understand where a lot of fans were sitting here just with their jaw on the ground. We talked about in our last episode how the Paladinos don't have a big issue with wiping the slate clean at any given time. They can just cut off the tour. They can just pivot on a dime and say, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing this now. They did not disappoint in that department. They 100% changed the trajectory of what was happening in this season. Well, we couldn't expect Midge to just have like a meteoric rise to superstardom, right? She had to have a few bumps along the way. This is More than a bump, Mr. Daly. (laughs) This one is rough. Now, I have to tell you that in our last conversation, we had musings about what equaled a successful ending, a satisfying ending for this show. What did we want Midge to do? Was this going to just be a snapshot of a time for Midge, but really she was going to move on to other things? There was recently an interview that I saw where Rachel Brosnahan, who plays Midge, revealed that the show creator, Amy Sherman Palladino imagines Midge one day being extremely successful, living in her Park Avenue penthouse with 15 poodles, grateful that her marriage to Joel ended. All right. That's kind of like news for me. And then Rachel also added she will have achieved this enormously successful career and will look back wistfully at how simple things were. Now, this doesn't mean that she achieves all of this success only at stand-up. And that was the thing we were talking about. Like, could she take her humor? Could she take her her ability to write jokes and twist it into another line of work? Could she do mm-hmm. TV, movies, what have you, write for other comedians? What would she do? So she's successful, but what she will be successful in, I'm willing to still leave the door open. What about you? As you were talking, it made me try to fit her into the pantheon of famous comics in that time period. And the closest I could come up with that might resemble this could be Carol Burnett. Okay, yeah. I like that very much. Someone, I mean, at that level of fame, the 15 poodles idea, you know, it's it's silly sounding, but it creates this image in your mind of grounds around your house and, and, and fountains and, and that kind of stuff. That means like she's a household name. She's not like a local act. Right. It was a Lucille Ball type fame there as you well go. for yeah. me. I feel comfortable saying that she is going to have a successful life ultimately. I never really doubted that from Mitch though. I always thought this was going to be successful. But man, Paul, this season ender, ooch, who do you want to start with? I think we got to end with Midge, obviously. Susie is in there with Midge, although Susie has an adventure all on her own she in this episode. She certainly has had like Mr. Toad's wild ride. And then, of course, Joel cuts off halfway be- halfway through the show. So why don't we start with Joel? Okay. Nice and easy, in, out, we're done. I was looking forward to seeing the opening of the club. Finally. As well as the the May and Midge meeting. I saw this, this scene as kind of a softball. We were expecting this snappy banter, maybe even snappy banter. Did I say snappy twice? <laughs> Maybe snippy. Snippy. Yes, snippy banter. And we got a little bit of that. I looked at the opportunity to take the stage as sort of what we call in the male world a dick measuring contest. Mm. I don't know what it amounts to in, you know, early 60s woman's world, but that's what it felt woman's like to me. Did, did it did it <laughs> 
how did you look at that scene? Oh, I looked at it territorially. Like she had every right to step up on that stage. You know, half this club was hers and her brain. Hello, they're legally married, Paul. This has just been floating there. Like, you know, floating along this this entire season that they're still married. This club is hers too. Even if they got a quickie divorce. Oh, I think the word He'd have income. is over, Paul, because we're still doing this. This has been months later. There's no quickie available. Accurate. Accurate. Yeah. The plot line seemed all but abandoned, and it still kind of does. It, it's just like inconsequential, it seems, which is odd in many ways. But I guess since they're just going about their life, I guess it's okay to ignore the fact that they're married. I have faith in these writers. I've said that before. I'll say it again. When you look at the way that they built in, say, Susie's gambling Mm -hmm. and also Susie's dedication to Midge and how they climax in this episode, none of that turned on a dime is what I'm saying. Yeah, it was was, slow burn this whole season. the, The seeds were planted well early enough for you to believe this is what would have happened. We may not have gotten a payoff to their accidental marriage this season, but we also left them in quite a lurch at the end of this season. So the Paladinos knew they were coming back and could finish these things. Once upon a time, Caroline, you were a girlfriend. Yes. Imagine you had had this boyfriend that was so prideful that he took the things that you were doing to help him out and just shat them all over your face. (laughs) on my face yeah to the point this where you is were already a questionable relationship he, he embarrassed you in front of his friend and your friends let's just assume my lackeys and you decided to stay gone for what we could probably assume to be a couple of months at least weeks yeah when they reunite it seemed like all's forgiven did you buy it was it earned i feel you're asking me well he did embarrass himself in front of all of those people down in the basement gambling establishment saying he was really sorry and that he had messed up and that this was a scene so i suppose you could look at if this prideful man had stepped off of his high horse and decided to be down with the common folk and speak to them and tell them how sorry he truly was. So some humiliation is required for this level of, of embarrassment. Then I was surprised that she accepted it so fully that she didn't give him a little like, that was your one and done. (laughs) But the Paladinos want to keep the story moving and there isn't anything compelling really about the two of them being apart. You know, we need to get (laughs) May back into the fold. Yeah. I'm fine with how that, that worked out. And I'm, and I'm happy that Midge and May actually got a chance to meet each other. And for goodness sakes, it actually did have that moment of saying, no, they're married. They're still married. When he's, when she goes, I didn't know you had a wife. People are taking that, like had a wife, like was divorced. No, have a wife. Like they are married. So good clarification for the audience. We had been predicting that this club would turn into a hangout for the local Chinese population. On opening night, though, that didn't seem to be the case. Very true, but the jukebox seemed to be turned off. (laughs) They were having a live band, and I think that was, aha, and that made all the difference between who was going to be the clientele. Opening nights aren't always the same as two months later for a given place. Like, look at the opening of the Rose Apothecary. Very busy. Is it ever busy again? (laughs) True that, true that. There is no way to know how well this club is really going to do at this point. They were already having lots of issues there that that Midge was quick to step in and help out with. But here's the terrible thing, Paul. I don't really care. I don't honestly care. Like, I know you want me to be like, let's talk a lot about whether Joel's going to be a successful businessman. I just don't care. The important part was to me was the conversation between him and Susie and that whole portion, which really is the periphery of Midge's storyline. So Joel for right now, he's just, he's not holding my attention. But we do need him to be successful in light of everything else. If she does own half this club, which she does. Right. And technically again, being all married and all, and we certainly know Midge is going to need income. Exactly. So we need Joel a hundred percent. There have been times in the past when I have been guilty of overthinking aspects of the plot that just don't matter (laughs) in such a way 
that it's just abandoned by the writers and no one cares. And it's perfectly fine. Are you feeling that way? I'm feeling that way about the about the culture, the, the demographics, and the, of, and whether the club could possibly be successful yes, with or without May. It, right. Going forward, we just need the club to be successful and not really drill down into Joel's books. I, I agree with you. <laughs> right. The only reason why it would be of any consequence would be if he is entrusted with the money and then his club does start going south. Is he another potential piranha here to snatch up Midge's money? Is she going to have to stop giving the, I'm going to say responsibility, but also the privilege, I guess, of handling her money to someone else? Is she going to have to take it on herself and stop pushing it to other people to handle? By Susie bringing Joel in, but not telling Midge about it, that leaves Susie in a vulnerable position that creates drama later when it is eventually found out. And it will be kind of a double whammy. You weren't managing the money and you were having Joel manage the money. I'm guessing, yes, like like she has needed to learn other aspects of this business. This will just have to be another one. It might be a lesson that she's going to end up learning here. This was a series of lessons for Midge, things that she made decisions on and were coming back like all the consequences in one big bag came walloping through this entire episode. But we'll get to Midge last. <laughs> Keep pushing that off, huh? Yep. Let's head over to Queens and check out how the Wisemans are continuing to adapt and find their way out of Queens. That scene a couple episodes ago where... Abe had to predict kind of like an actuarial, like, mm -hmm. like our money will last until then, but I have to die by Very, very by Richard and Emily Gilmore. Yeah. On the one hand, you can see where a past Abe would think that's a pretty reasonable plan. And it created some good humor. Like, do you, let me know if you need any help with that from Moish. <laughs> However, he's he's found with especially with this connection with Asher and the writing and all that, he's found a new connection to to life all of a sudden and and has developed a plan almost. How that ties in with Rose is something we we need to discuss because I am ignorant about this idea of matchmaking. Can Rose actually create any independence for herself through this matchmaking? It seems that you could charge for matchmaking, and that is a possibility for her to do. They we've, didn't... we've all seen Hello, Dolly, so we know that, that that's a of thing. Of course, of course. And I mean, nowadays, it definitely is a thing, um, whether it's online or whatever you pay for some amount of subscription to that Rose type of thing. Rose is like Tinder. <laughs> Rose is totally Tinder. <laughs> uh, I think that she could. I, there is a definite pattern here between Rose and I would say Imogene of having this moment where they say, I'm not going to depend on a man. Yeah. And regardless of the circumstances, even if things are looking up, which they are for Abe. I mean, he you said he has a plan. I would say he has a he found his passion and he, he knows what he wants to do with that passion, whether or not that comes together in a lucrative you know, actual monetary way, questionable. It was fascinating to see how he was being received and that he was accepting of critical attention as being good enough attention. His ideas were stirring the pot and that was exciting enough for him. Again, how do you twist that into money? Not sure yet. <laughs> that is all very reflective of my own and our own journey as TV reviewers and podcasters, because we throw out a lot of content, not throw out like into the garbage, throw out into the stratosphere for anyone to digest. We get so little feedback in comparison to the number of people that listen that we're not sure how we're doing sometimes. And so even when someone writes in and says, I don't like what you're doing with that, it's like, holy shit, someone's listening. <laughs> You know, true. I have been in that situation as long as they're not belittling me and my brain power. And so like, it's a civil like like I um, discussion of you, you really fell short analyzing this because you didn't look at it in this other way that that you could have. I'm, I'm willing to roll. I'm glad for the feedback. I'm not sure that's completely equivalent to being pelted with tomatoes on the street. 
but I see where you're going with it. I, I come from art school and art school, you just get feedback, feedback, feedback. It's like, Jesus Christ, with all the feedback. But when you're out in the world and you try to get feedback from something you do, no one cares. So the fact that someone cared, even if it was in the form of a splatting tomato, was, was what he needed right then. Because he had gone so, you know, a week or two without hearing anything back. And for Abe, it seemed his goal was simply to stir the pot, was simply to get a response. It didn't necessarily have to be a positive response. His whole goal, as he was presenting it to everyone else, was to change the world, change something about how things were, were being done. That didn't necessarily mean that everyone was going to come and say, these are this is the best thing that you ever said. It, it kind of seems like he, he is just someone who is meant to be a disruptor. That's what he was trying to do, was, was bring attention, bring awareness to issues that he thought needed to be looked at. And it did make people mad, and it made him thrilled to know that he had gotten to somebody so deeply that they felt compelled to move on their opinion for him. That was enough for him. Again, though, does this mean he finds a newspaper to write for? He finds something. He said he what he said he was going to do for money was start tutoring. Yeah. And I have to assume that that is partially from the uh, illiterate newspaper writer kids that he dealt with and realizing that they didn't know how to spell and they weren't making things clear in their writing. Well, and math is so easy for him. But the Village Voice, the theater critic for the Village Voice is really what I just don't know. Is that career level job it seems to be something that you you could do freelance writing you could write a book you could tr maybe teach a class perhaps he does have experience now as a professor i don't know this is definitely feels like something that he is going to have to create the income it's not going to be something so obvious as he's going to just simply become a doctor like you no know, he's going to have to find someone who wants to hear what he has to say and figure out a way to twist that into money Swinging back to Rose, you know, you had mentioned um, the idea that the Paladinos are willing to to pivot and, and go in directions and, and maybe give us some exposition about how they got there, but not right away all the time. And with regard to Rose and Abe's journey through their career choices in the last season and a half, there have been a lot of those pivots. We were wondering what is going on in between themselves. And I think we got our answer from Rose in that she's been swallowing it up. I think that that's what she said to Midge when they were talking. That was the subtext I got. I'm not too great at subtext, but I think that's what I, what I was getting. Like your dad blew up my life too. Other people have various solutions for that. Imogene kicks Archie out of the house for a couple of months. Goes to school and gets an education to have a career of her own. Yes. That's the key. That's where I'm saying that you saw a big shift throughout this episode of people saying, I can no longer and I never should I have been in a position of relying on someone else for my independence. And I think you can say that whether it's a guy or a girl. In these cases, it's all women. But... You know, it's it's no different than it's the same cry that Joel has about I don't want to rely on my parents. I don't want to rely on their business. I don't want to rely on May. I want to be able to support myself and do this right. It's it's the battle cry of every single one of these characters. But generationally, the younger two women take a certain kind of action that Rose would have never approached. I think it also has to do with class. I think that Rose is not going to take a secretarial job. Rose is not going to... Well, she's not going to kick out Abe and she's not going to divorce Abe, which were the other two women's options. All of options. those things. So she has to find some sort of way to make money. Difficult to wrap my brain around exactly how she's going to charge for her matchmaking <laughs> services. How I mean, she was given those glasses and I think that that exchange of basically goods and services was what made her think she had potential to be able to somehow create a, a system here. Whether it's going to be actual cash or whether there's some sort of bartering, I don't know. It has to be cash or else you're not independent. But how she's going to do it, I don't know. That's a definite season four. They have to continue to follow up on that. I wonder if in the early 60s they used the term blow up your life because they threw it around a lot in this episode. And Yes, I agree with you. There was a couple lines actually where I looked at you and said, I don't think they would say that. 
the writing is so great just to watch these characters and what they say. But I agree. Some some of the anachronistic talk, someone that was like a real historical purist would probably want to get up their butts or not want to watch this show anymore. But, uh, <laughs> I don't care. The conversation between Midge and Rose is important to me because it's a very familiar conversation from Amy Sherman Palladino. It's something that I have seen on Gilmore Girls almost verbatim where they were going back and forth about her interfering in her life, going to Benjamin, talking to him. She didn't want any of these things and getting the, you never look at it from my side of the story out of Rose. That's very Emily Gilmore. Like you never consider what I'm dealing with, what my life looks like. It's a pattern with them that's worthy of discussion amongst all these women because in so many ways, we hear the phrase women helping women, but there's also this willful ignorance about what other women are going through that allows this level of judgment. Ignoring circumstances is like the number one cause of women not helping women. They just act as if, well, who cares what you're going through, mom? You know, that's this it's I have never even considered what's going on in your life, despite the fact that she's in Moish and Shirley's house. Midge can't act like she doesn't know what's happening. She knows what's happening, but she isn't willing to absorb it. And the same as Rose. This entire season, I've been complaining that Rose is being so obstinate taking in what Midge is doing, what her career is. And we're seeing that same feel coming from Midge towards Rose. Do you feel like this this is a conversation worthy of having on this show as many times as it's coming up? For sure. Especially when with that generational aspect, part of Rose's disconnect appears to be she just willfully won't understand Midge. You could branch that out into be like the way Midge wants to live, the career Midge wants to take, what Midge did with her husband. She just won't accept the information in front of her that Midge is giving her because she's set in some pattern of the way things should be. And that's why she's extra sore at Midge, in fact, is because Midge is doing these things and putting these kernels into her mind of, well, there are other ways of doing things. And it's starting to crack her armor that says, no, no. There's just one way to do these things. There's one way to be a wife. There's one way to be a Jewish wife. There's one way to be a Jewish wife in New York, et cetera, et cetera. When you have someone that branches off so much in the other direction, what is what is the other person left to do? Like you said, unless they take the time and the effort to to drop that armor and consider that other person's circumstances circumstances that's the key They're, like everything you just described was making it sound like Mitch just woke up one morning and made his decision to do something else with her life to throw away this typical you know domestic housewife role that's not what happened her husband cheated on her and left her and she didn't have anything else to make a living at so she did do like B. Dalton. She was the makeup girl. She did try other things. And ultimately, this was the thing that she seemed to have the passion and the skill and the talent to do. So how can Rose ignore that Joel left? You know, that Joel cheated. Joel left. This is not Miriam's choice. In the same way that I don't think, I mean, it's not like six and one and half dozen to the other situation because Midge doesn't really know what it is that Rose is doing with this matchmaker stuff. She just knows that she showed up and was talking to Benjamin and basically invading their privacy and speaking it in the middle of the hospital and all this stuff. Yeah. It's not like she understands what Rose's intent is. So it's not exactly the same. I mean, Rose to me is still like the bigger <laughs> culprit of ignoring the circumstances. It is important. And again, Amy Sherman Palladino talks about this all the time in her shows. Daughters never look at their mothers as a woman in the world with a husband and things that are going on that are outside their control. And they never consider what it is their mom is doing to try to rectify those situations and how that might not look right to the kids, but it, there, there's reasons behind it. Do you think there is any hope that these two will ever ever just understand each other or even have the patience or what would be the right word, grace to drop whatever it is that's keeping them from understanding each other and just reaching a baseline of understanding? 
You know, I could come up with an entire scene in my head where Midge is sitting there with those 15 poodles in the penthouse with all the money. And Rose comes in and says, if only you had a husband. (laughs) Because that's exactly what Emily does all the time to Lorelai. She can own her own inn. She can be a successful mother. She can be all these wonderful things. And Emily would say, it's just a shame you're not married. And ah. so do I think that they're ever going to truly let go of what should have been? No, especially not Rose. No, hopefully at some point in time, there will be some acceptance of what Midge does. There is a moment in Gilmore Girls where Emily does appreciate Lorelai's abilities to be able to uh, handle her own situation. She, I think that think there's a metaphor about kayaks and whatnot in there uh, as well. I just, I don't see Rose changing enough. I think she's always going to have wanted an easier, more predictable path for Miriam. Now, speaking of, is it a predictable path? Uh-huh. Last week we discussed Rose visiting Benjamin and I said, oh, she's just doing this to to needle him enough to open that door between conversations between Midge and Benjamin. Do you feel like it came to be or was it what you thought might happen if they did talk? I thought he would be one and done with Ben, but then she had to go back. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> And this is part of that that circling back, right? On the, yes. things moved on and we didn't get an explanation right away. But dear listener, just hang on a minute and you'll get it. I I enjoyed that smackdown uh because she had it coming, you know. He was a, he was not bad for her. I don't we don't even know. There was so little interaction that to know if he was good for her, but like he points out, she didn't even ask or give him the chance. That's the sin that was absolutely committed. It's that she never communicated with him what she wanted and given him any chance to say, yeah, that would be completely fine with me. When he said the line, but the coming home would be so sensational, some line like that, Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing. I did, my heart did go like, oh, because that's all you had to hear, that he would have 100% backed her career and backed her ability to go on tour and do everything. He wasn't, he wasn't going to stand in her way and she never gave him the chance. I did not even realize how much she did not give him the chance. Somehow along the way, I kind of just ignored the fact that she never had a straight conversation with him about what he wanted. She actually drank the Kool-Aid Every man would want a stay-at-home wife with a typical, you know, raising the kids and dinner on the table that Rose has been, you know, forcing her to drink the whole time. She never considered that this man could be completely different than that. With her wildly impulsive conversations that she has on stage, it is hard for me to wrap my brain around that she never broached this with him (laughs) because just off the cuff they could have been in the middle of having sex or something she'd be like do you care that i'm a comic like it just seems like something that she wouldn't keep bottled up maybe that's part of her her little dichotomy here right is that she's on stage and she's oh so honest but in her real life she doesn't actually face the situations that she needs to such as like farming out the money to Susie. Yeah. I mean, she was aware in many ways that Susie was gambling too much. She saw it with her own eyes, places that they were, the way that she was tipping so wildly, all the little things was like, hang on a second. Who is accounting for the money? And I mean, the gambling thing has been a slow burn this entire season. You and I have mentioned it throughout the last seven episodes where we've said, do you think this is going to be a problem? Because it seems like this is going to be a problem. Do you think this is going to come up? It seems like it's going to come back up. Did you expect it to come up at this level, this magnitude of loss? Kind of. I can't honestly say yes. (laughs) The way that it twisted into everything else that happened in terms of Midge needing the money now. For the apartment, then the tour going bust, the drama for the money being questionable now really ratcheted up in a believable way because they laid the groundwork. It was like at a certain point, it writes itself. 
in terms of someone being in charge of a building amount of money that no one will ever notice if I just take some of that that isn't necessarily mine as long as I put some back from my winnings, mm-hmm. which was probably the plan with this oh, boxing match. definitely was the plan. I mean, if you look at that scene, I'm sure Reggie was expecting that her bet was something that he had just had in his wallet, you know, like a reasonable gentleman's bet, 20 bucks, whatever would have been a lot for early 1960s. And when you compare that, though, to I'm not giving you money for your panty picture in the earlier part of the season, it showed a nice, you know, I believe you are a manager now. It was growth in their little relationship. Right. And I think it mirrored the friendship growth of Shy and Midge. You know, that turned out that that Reggie and Susie would choose to spend their free time together. In the neighborhood barbershop, that is not where white women usually hang out if I understand things correctly. So this is like a huge a bond. acceptance. Yeah. yeah. Huge, huge. Guess we gotta cover Susie then. <laughs> I think that that bonding and that friendship together just made the end of this so much worse for everyone, all of it, for Shy and Midge and Reggie and Susie. The more that they showed them having this like, oh, I got your back. Let's have these these quiet personal moments where we're going to share ourselves. I mean, Reggie's face, he was 100 percent willing to help. He was going to help her if she would say the amount, mm-hmm. but it was so embarrassing for her and so awful and I, uh, apparently so huge. She couldn't even spit it out. We'll, we don't even know how much she lost. If you need arson fraud money, it's going to be thousands. We asked in the last episode, why bring up this mom? Why show <laughs> the mom being taken out of the house? We asked the question. We were smart enough viewers to ask the question. There's something up with this. And we thought maybe it's this going to be this added stress situation where she's going to have to be dealing with family. Now we know. It was so that we all knew that house was empty. No one was living there. We saw mom being taken out. So we can kind of comfortably allow the arson to happen without feeling like, Oh, no. (laughs) Did she just burn her mother? (laughs) You know? No, that's not what happened. We are positive. The Paladinos made sure to show you that house was empty. And kill off a character we didn't care about. And bring Tess, the sister, into the fold more. It would not surprise me if Susie Meyerson and Associates includes Tess. And I don't know, maybe Imogene as the secretary. That'll be a powerful combination. People all rooting for Midge in her in her office like that. Tess, not so much, but but Imogene. Oh, and- but she would have Susie's back. So knowing that she had Susie's back, knowing Imogene has Midge's back. I mean, that whole women helping women would feel pretty fantastic, I think. I hope that if I'm right, that the scene that I predicted where Midge finds out about Susie and the money and Joel, et cetera, et cetera. When that comes to pass, she'll remember this stuff happened or things like this, how she stuck up for her in front of Sophie, firing Sophie, how she, Susie was due, uh, whatever the proceeds were for selling that house or burning it down (laughs) anyway. But she's going to give all that back into Midge's kitty so that she can stay whole regardless of what happens to her. She is in Midge's corner in a way in ways she doesn't even really know. She is trustworthy as a manager in the big picture. Right. This was a misstep. I'm sorry had to happen. It feels like the entire time we've watched Susie, she's been learning on the job, faking it till she makes it. This has been a very educational season for both women. <laughs> yes, it has. This in many ways needed to happen. This the Sophie Lennon thing needed to happen in order for her to really realize where her bread is buttered and that the grass is not greener just because it's a bigger star. That's just bigger problems, mm-hmm. bigger headaches. It, it's worth it to her to spend her time continuing to home grow everything with Midge. And the money thing had to happen for there to be this moment of clarity that you can't be everything to her. You clearly cannot handle things like the accounting and the money. And I know she was chalking it up to not trusting herself, but there's something more there about just the business acumen side of it. She can handle the managerial side when it comes to Midge, but there's reasons why there's other jobs. You know, you have a whole team of people handling things. I know she just wants to say it's about trust. I feel like there's something more there that that I'm willing to give her that out. She just... 
doesn't know how to handle money. That's why she is where she is in her life. She doesn't have any experience. Better that it would happen now in this creatively correctable way than later. Hopefully this is enough for her to learn her lesson. Do you think it's enough to cover the money? Is Midge okay? Is that apartment sunk? With what we've been shown, she has enough money to get in. I just don't believe she has enough money to keep it. Exactly. It's not going to be sustainable without something else. These women have been resilient. The The tour did pause for two whole months and they managed to continue to bring in money. I'm just, I'm sighing so hard. This is so hard, listeners, to, for us to discuss because it really is a stomach ache for me to watch how this fell apart and realize how this fell apart. Let's get to that part. Let's get to the Jewish girl going into the Apollo and talk about who was responsible. Was she pushed into saying these things or did Midge really just ruin it herself? This may be a duh, duh comment that everybody listening already knows. But in That's case, okay, Paul. In case you don't, <laughs> the Apollo Theater in Harlem is a famously tough gig where uh, the audience will boo whoever's on stage loudly, lustfully, and get them yanked off stage rather than continuing to have them continue wasting their time with bad entertainment. The extra stress she was feeling was was warranted. All entertainers know the Apollo's tough. And it is in Harlem and was a black area of, of New York City. So her going in white, especially with the added complication of having a Moms Mabley, an established black performer, appear to open for you. Yeah, that seemed like a giant faux pas. Which, by the way, we can talk about Wanda and her performance as moms. Um, I've never seen any of mom's material, so I don't know that she nailed it, but something tells me she nailed it. Yes, I have seen some and she did nail it. I do think that she she did it justice. And I'm glad that the show is taking the time to show a real life woman performer, a person of color being so successful and the different variation of the acts that that comedians do. You know, we've seen these like characters that people play, you know, with Sophie Lennon. And then we get an opportunity to sort of taste Mom's Maybelline and her act, see what she does and how it how it goes. I'm happy that they did that. It did create this terrible position, though, of having there seem to be almost, I would say, disrespect to have her play after Mom's Maybelline. And, and it seems like a big Reggie didn't know that was going to happen. Like there wasn't any forethought to how this was going to look. Remember earlier when she tanked at the first night in Vegas, right? And we predicted that she would push her content in the next show and maybe go too far to try to bring them back. We weren't correct right then. But I think we were I think we were on to something that her instinct would be to go past her her normal comfort zone for what she would say, how she would say it in an attempt to see where the audience's quote unquote line was. OK, so I hear you placing this sh squarely on Midge's shoulders. No, she no? got bad advice, but, <laughs> okay, okay. but she took it and boy, did she run with it in very unsubtle ways. I mean, 2020, 2021 eyes. OK, yeah, not it's it, very obvious, but. Oh, I think it was very obvious then. The concept of Friends of Dorothy predates what she was saying. That's right. That's so true. So calling it Judy Garland shoes and all that stuff. I cringed the entire act. I cringed at Reggie's advice. I don't understand why in the world you would say, tell the gossip of things going on on tour. What are you talking about? Like in what world? I, I mean, I think maybe it was good advice in terms of getting the audience to laugh, but I'm, it doesn't, it does not fly with Reggie, the manager who we had sitting up there saying how much he was like had a tight rein on what people knew about Shy and you know how everything was presented throughout. You know, it was very important that they not 
say things or do things or act in a certain way. He was even reprimanding the reporters in Vegas about the things that were being asked about. Like he was packaging shy in such a very specific way that I don't understand why he would even suggest. It's because he he had let them in. He was going to lend Susie money. You know, that's why he was crying at the at the side of the plane was because he had his job to do, but he was having to fire people that he had come to think of as of some level of friend. What I mean to say is he was so careful about protecting Shai's reputation. Yes. That why would he tell Midge to tell the gossip of what happened on the tour? Because I think he meant... I mean, I believe him when he said, I didn't know how much you knew. Right. Basically, like, I didn't know how much tea you had to spill. So when I said spill the tea, I just meant, you know, one time shy, you know, wore a a colored tie that didn't match his suit or something. Right. Just teasing stuff. I didn't know you knew the nitty gritty. I think those tears you were seeing was about he knew he gave bad advice because he had, you know, lost track of how close Midge and Dwayne really were and what she knew. But also, I feel like Reggie would be a liar if he were to say that it wasn't known that Shy was gay within that group. Like there definitely seems like it was known and understood. So when he says go out there and say the gossip, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm kind of looking at Reggie like, well, what exactly did you expect her to do? Having said that, even though we're in 2022, you never Never, never would it be acceptable to out somebody, to out anybody, Yeah, you know, that, that, or even frankly, tease like that. And in that type of setting and all like, no, or in any setting, really no way, no way. So I just, I cannot justify the advice in my head. And then I can't figure out why she, uh, we talked about this, about her naivete about, oh, wait, you know. Um, you don't stay at our hotel. Oh, wait, being gay would be a problem. Like, Midge, you live in this world. Like, you can read and write and you watch the news and you have an understanding of civil rights in some regard. What? In the past, her mouth has gotten away from her, especially on stage, especially yes. when she's getting a good reaction. Yes, and it she's doesn't, impulsive. And it doesn't matter her relationship with the person that she's talking about. Certainly that was revisited when she talked about Joel, like in his, in his club, he said like, she was like hinting around that she was going to say some bad stuff. Foreshadowing even. Mm -hmm. I mean, or calling back to stuff that she said in season one. She completed a blue show in front of her dad. Who can do that? (laughs) (laughs) They walked the line this entire season, kind of tiptoeing back and forth on it about when was Midge going to finally understand the power of her words whether it was in the voiceover work with the radio, whether it was, you know, what she was going to be saying on that boat when she was talking with Shy, and then she's going to see Reggie, like, what's she going to say? Where is she going to cross the line and tell too much, too little? She was being given secrets, like Dwayne was his real name, and it was on, you were unsure with her about where she was going to be able to keep those secrets because like you say, it's not that she would mean to let it out. It's just that she just, when she says stuff, she just says stuff. Some part of me was like, I thought she'd be like introducing Dwayne Shy Baldwin, (laughs) you know, because she just spilled and spilled. Yeah. My heart was dying though. I was really dying for Shy throughout that entire set. I was not proud of Midge. I felt like this was the cheapest act I had seen her put on. And even though there was teasing of individual people, uh, like her, her ex-husband. There's something about teasing and comedy about your ex-husband like that versus like, this is your friend who is also a superstar person who is in the, the public light, who obviously has things about himself that he chooses to keep as a private life. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. The typical archetype, right? If you were going to write a comic as a character is not someone like Midge where they have certain well-adjusted personality traits that allow them to have a lot of friends but maybe it's this other side of it that that you don't take into account which is when that person who might have personal skills starts to run off at the mouth to be funny they chase away all the people that care about them you know what i'm trying to get at i do a whole wholeheartedly i even would challenge your idea that she has a lot of friends she has imogene if you're thinking of the other comedians she was having lunch with the other comedians. That's true. I don't know. Does she have a huge stable of friends? I don't know that she does. 
Lorelai mm. never did. She had Suki. That's it. Mitch has got Emma Jean. I don't know who else she has. And partially it could be because that biting humor, you know, it's it's a lot. And she it comes with a lot of judging, too. That's part of her humor, you know, where mm-hmm. she's she's kind of calls it like she she sees it, which isn't always very nice. Most of the time, it's not very nice. I appreciate her humor and I can relate to it. Certainly as a younger person, I was someone who could make jokes and then be like, I am so sorry. That was way too biting. I really did not mean to say it like that. I hope that I, you know, never did any type of damage like she did here. I can understand when you're just going and people are laughing it's very hard to pump the brakes. <laughs> I admit, it's very hard. Very hard. So what do you think? Is she 100% sunk? Is this over? I mean, we watched the Paladinos and the get remarried, bring Benjamin back. Is this truly the end of Shy Baldwin? Yep, I believe so. There's just some things you can't come back from. Yeah. I'm okay with it in terms of like she needs to have consequences. They need to both, both her and Susie. Susie's got to stop being so distracted with other things. You've got to stop not being there at shows. You know, she learned that with Sophie. It was not worth her continuously having to walk out on Midge to go and see Sophie. Not worth it. It didn't end up panning out at all. And not being there the night at the Apollo, a terrible, terrible judgment call. Someone else might have seen her show at the Apollo and might be interested in in booking her. I wondered if, since we dealt with the blackballing with Sophie, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's going to be a call out to be like, uh, did you hear she got dumped from the Shy Baldwin situation? I, all of that is, is fair game. All of that meaning um, running off Sophie and her being a vindictive sort, the Shy Baldwin uh, connection falling apart. Now, I bet that won't be devastating the the getting let go from shy baldwin's tour that could be spun possibly only at the mercy of reggie if sophie decides to go scorched earth on them again and she can't find any clubs to play remember that was the reason they had to go on like the big tour right away from sophie's influence so that they could actually play clubs she's always got a place at joel's <laughs> it's half hers. <laughs> Maybe that's where this goes. Well, are you ready to talk predictions? I am. What you got for season four? I expect a time jump of some amount. There's no reason to pick up right away because although we're kind of left in a cliffhanger in terms of what's going to happen, they can also say picking up two months later, everyone at the Maisel apartment is living there, but they're also all working, you know, coming and going. It's a it's a fast-paced household. Oh, I like that. It's very train station-y. Right. Where this maybe matchmaking is a thing uh, that she has to expand out and take on a broader client base to make it sustainable rather than just some hobby. Since there was that comment from Joel where he said, I got to get out of living out in the factory. Yeah. You think there's some shot that we actually come back in season four and we have Abe Rose Joel... Midge living in the same apartment? That's one big apartment. It's 10 room. I will not dismiss that completely. I don't know why they would lay that little nugget there about having to get out of the factory. Why? They heard the podcast and we were asking about it. (laughs) Exactly. But you know what I'm saying, right? He's been living there the whole time. Why all of a sudden would you just put out this comment of like, I got to get out of the factory? You do? Why? What? Who? What? Right. Would that mean that the girlfriend that you hadn't seen for a couple of months and you shack up? Oh. I also believe we would probably spend some of next season going over the can this relationship work from two people of very diverse backgrounds. I predict that we see that judge again in divorce court, the same one. Fair. Oh, it was just too much symmetry there. You just can't not have the same judge be like, what are you two doing in my courtroom? I told you you didn't want to be divorced. (laughs) And now you're getting divorced again. How'd that happen? Wasting the court's time. When the next season starts, I would predict that the next big opportunity for for Midge has not presented itself yet. And she is having to piece together what she can with the voiceover people that will work with her. You don't think she burned that? I think she burned it, but that may not be the only show in town. And besides, maybe she can work for the politician on the other side of the aisle. Um, That'd be funny. Comedy wise, she'll. I think she will be working at Joel's and hers. It'll be called measles. The additional unfortunate fact of the man who played Jackie dying makes playing the gaslight and the role of the gaslight in the future kind of up in the air. 
in some ways I could see where, where the gaslight somehow rolling in to the Joel, Susie, Midge sphere of influence more formally, like maybe as a purchase or, oh. or controlling interest. Because remember, Jackie didn't own it. He just ran it. Right. Right. That man came in. Remember who actually owned it? Yeah. There's going to have to be a really brand new opportunity that presents itself I really like the hustle aspect of like episode one, season four, being completely like train stationy crazy. Everybody's got to hustle to make the money to yeah. get rent. I can see that. I agree with the time jump completely. I have to think that the Susie's money is going to come through, but we're definitely going to be just living on a prayer <laughs> for sure, right? Right. That's got to be happening. I'm excited. I think that Sophie will come back. I'm hoping it's not right away. I think that it would be better to shelf her and let us all forget about her a little bit so that she can be really effective when she comes in with some barbing, horrible, nasty behind the scenes act that gets Midge out of nowhere. I know they've already done this, given the time frame and just how the the future of this profession at the level that Midge wants to be at is going to take place. It's going to be TV. I see a sitcom. And it makes sense to me and it would be fun. And that might be even, I know where I was going, like they had the telethon or whatever. That's, yes. I could see where something like that, where she and Sophie again cross paths, but now maybe Sophie is quote unquote opening for Midge. In, oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Tables turning. That would have to be much later in the season. Okay. It's been widely publicized that Milo Ventimiglia has joined the cast. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? And in a lot of those pictures, he seems to be holding hands with Midge on uh, walks through the park. What is the role of this new mystery man? <laughs> It seems like suitor. Jack Pearson makes his way into the into oh, another show of ours. Paul Daly, you just made my stomach extra hurt. Good God. This episode hurts my belly. Might have been something I ate. I don't know. Will he be a professional connection that turns romantic? Will he be a purely personal Ooh, adventure? I like the idea professional. Let's say professional connection. Let's put our money on that. I'm putting my Susie chips on that. Your Susie chips? <laughs> Hands. <laughs> This is Caroline. This is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Amazon or wherever you listen to podcasts. Spotify also. Five stars, whatever the highest rating is, and a comment would help us know we're going in the right direction. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.